0: Welcome to the Peace Catalyst podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, and I am a Peace Catalyst International Program Director in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles.
1: Yeah, thanks, Becca. Yeah, I'm Keith Giles. Um, My wife, Wendy, and I are Program Directors for Peace Catalyst International in El Paso, uh, and we're really excited to uh, be a part of Peace Catalyst. And we are, Becca and I are both very excited about this brand new Peace Catalyst podcast. We're kicking things off with a brand new series, Muslim Women of Peace. And in this series, what we want to do is to talk with Muslim women peacemakers. These are women who inspire us to walk the path of peace in our everyday lives as well. And what we hope is that by having these conversations with these women who are outside of our Christian kind of uh, worldview and our kind of Christian comfort zone. By having these conversations, we can learn from them about how they approach the process of peacemaking. And and we're hoping that they can help us understand how we can change the world around us and become better peacemakers uh, ourselves and by working together with people across our faith uh, lines and communities. So yeah, we're really excited about this brand new series and a brand new podcast.
0: We're so excited for our first interview um, for the series Muslim Women of Peace. We have Hurnissa Fariad Hurnissa is a Muslim woman leader peacemaker who works for the all Dulles area Muslim society here in Washington, D.C. area, which is the second largest mosque in the U.S. She's the head of outreach and interfaith, and she's also the music director for the Adams Beat Youth Choir, which is the first Muslim youth choir in the U.S., first and only, I believe. Um, She also is co-host and founder of the Sister Act podcast, which is a multi-faith women's podcast talking about topics of life, faith, and everything in between. Um, Hernessa, we're so excited to have you with us today. And would you like to add anything to that introduction that I just gave? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Jessica, so much. I'm so
2: honored to be here today and have this uh, really interesting and informative conversation with you. Um, no, actually, you did a really great job. The only thing is with Adams Beat Choir, we're the first mosque uh, youth choir. Um, there are some schools that have their own choirs, and I'm not sure how that falls into the spectrum, but we're the first mosque youth choir in, in the
0: country. Gotcha. So cool. Yeah. Thanks. Would you like to talk a little bit about your role with Adam Center as the interfaith coordinator and head of outreach? What has that been like for you? How did you get involved in that? And um, how does that connect with peacemaking?
2: So it, it actually started really on an odd note. <laughs> it wasn't the normal conventional way of doing things. Um, my degree is actually in elementary education and English literature. So I was a vice principal at the Adams School for about eight years. And in in between that time, they would come and ask me to step out of my office and you know, CNN is here, NBC is here, we need you to go and give an interview. And I'm like, this is not part of my job description. Why are you asking me to give an interview? You know, and then it was, it was mostly because I'm visibly Muslim. I'm, I was born, I was raised here. And I understand both cultures and articulate enough to get the message across. So I thought, okay, that's great. At least I'm not a trophy Muslim woman just standing there and smiling. And what I have to say is actually something that's important. So I would, constantly be pulled out for that and this outreach um, interfaith position really needed to be filled because we are the second largest in the country and the largest here in the DMV so we definitely needed someone for that role and so when they approached me I looked at it as a change in career but one that I was really looking forward to and so I took it and it's been almost uh, three and a half years now since I have taken on this position, and I enjoy every bit of it because it fits my personality really well.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And having worked with you over the past year with Peace Catalyst International, it's been so cool just to get to know you and, and learn your story and understand your um, heart for interfaith work and, and peacemaking between people. Um,
2: yeah, and I, I didn't think it was going to turn out the way it, it has actually because when I first started it was supposed to just be me putting some events together and then being an Adam's rep at other events. But my personality is the type where if I go to something I am going to speak to people and make connections and talk about who we are as the American Muslim community. And I think that added element, you know, took me to a different level in, in the peace building work that I've been doing and people wanting to hear what I have to say or wanting to hear a a female Muslim's perspective on an issue and actually giving us the platform to speak on behalf of uh, the Muslim women here in the United States. And I make that a distinction because Muslims in the United States are not like Muslims anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And people need to realize that when we look at Muslim women in another country, they're not representing us and we're not representing them. Each one of us have our own different style of doing things and our own different... Problems and issues that we're dealing with, so we're not monolithic in that
0: sense. Hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, what kind of um, what what are some of the uh, kind of specific challenges that Herenessa that you deal with uh, here in the states and your in your work uh, interfaith as well as uh, doing peacemaking work?
2: So th- there are a couple of different things, and one is the concept of dealing with Islamophobia and dealing with people who don't know who we are. Rather, they listen to what they hear on the news or a certain person talking about us who is not Muslim, but clearly hates anything Muslims say or who Muslims are. And they're, you know, promoting this rhetoric of we're trying to take over the country or bringing Sharia law or, you know, minimizing their stance here. And that's, you know, furthest from the truth, and that has been one of my challenges in terms of talking to people and getting them to understand. And it's actually been turned into a good challenge because after I have a conversation with people and talk to them and let them know what Islam says about us and what our job is supposed to be on this earth and how we're supposed to be respectful and and talking with dignity to other people they change their minds they have a different outlook on who we are and that's usually one or two person at you know person at a time it's not it's not a a huge setting and that's what i like i like having one-on-one conversations with people and getting to the you know nitty-gritty of what it is that we're doing and who we are as a community and then also being a woman in in peace building and faith work is another issue because And this is something I've realized that all women who are doing multi-faith work have had an issue with is not being given the platform to speak. So normally when you look at a multi-faith panel speakers, um, you will see that majority of them are men. Some might have one female, but majority of them are men. You know, they're the rabbis, pastors, and imams, which is great because they're the religious scholars. They know you know, what to say in terms of what Islam says about things. But sometimes their approach isn't really practical in terms of dealing with everyday people and knowing the construct of what people are going through. It's very, uh, you know, very theological and not from a lively, you know, everyday perspective of how people are living. Mm-hmm. And that's where things can get skewed because we're being portrayed as uh, a group of people that's just, solely reliant on theology, which we are, but we're multidimensional even in that field as well. So there's more to us than just that. You know, we use our faith to go and get an education. We use our faith to deal with people. We use our faith to deal with healthcare. So there's, you know, multifaceted areas that make us who we are. And women, especially with the Muslim women, we don't have female imams because it's not part of our faith tradition and but that doesn't mean that imams are the only scholars you know imam mm-hmm. the 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 title of imam is you know someone who leads prayer women can lead prayer in in the traditional sense of 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 islam but that's when the people praying behind her are women mm-hmm. so when you talk about imam somebody leading the prayer it the man can lead both women and men um, you know, there's a difference of opinion between different types of scholar, but this is like the traditional outlook on that. Uh-huh. And so when people say we only want an imam to come and speak on this issue, you're completely leaving women out, mm. Muslim women out. Mm. But uh-huh. that doesn't mean there aren't Muslim female scholars who can actually give a ruling on something because there are. So, And there are times where Muslim female scholars are way more qualified than the imams because some imams, all they do is just lead prayer. It doesn't mean they're a scholar. Doesn't mean they have the authority to give a, a fatwa or a ruling on something. Whereas there are female scholars who can do that. So mm-hmm. that's something that a lot of people don't know and a lot of people have not been used to. But I want to expand on that and let people know that when you're having a panel discussion or you're having people come to a group or a commission, don't just limit it to men, whether they're Jewish men, Jewish com- from the Jewish community or the Christian community or the Muslim community. There are female scholars in all of these faith groups that we need to reach out and include who are qualified to do the job as, as a, a man would be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
1: think that's really important. I mean, that's something, um, frankly, that, um, we see it in the, in the, in the Christian world as well. Yeah. Um, most of the, uh, most of the authors, most of the event speakers are, uh, frankly, oh, they look like me. They're old white men. And, <laughs> and, and I don't
2: know if there's anything wrong with old white men, but we need to, to spice it up a little bit.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, it would be nice. It would be nice. It, it, and, and here's the thing it, it, as someone who is uh, kind of in that majority group and kind of does get invited to, to, to uh, participate in those kinds of things, uh, I agree with you because. Um, when you limit it only to men, um, we're we only hearing one side. You know, in other words, like I, I'll just admit, I have things to learn, and, and I need. I'm only going to be learned if I'm exposed to other voices and other opinions and perspectives that are not like mine. Um, which is one of the reason we're doing this podcast, frankly, uh, to hear other voices and to uh, listen to uh, other other views and opinions from outside our own sort of little bubble. So that's that's very, very important, and i'm I'm glad you're bringing attention to that, Hernessa. And thank you for being one of those voices um, that we can that we can turn to
2: absolutely and and it's important. I mean I'm myself am not a female scholar, and nor do I claim myself to be, but as a Muslim female who I think can say a few words and I have been given that platform for the most part to say what I need to say, I make sure that I point it out because it is important for women, especially to stick up for one another. That's another issue is Mm -hmm. is having women, you know, empower one another and speak to to that uh, regardless of faith backgrounds. And that's one of the reasons why I even started my podcast is to allow women of faith leaders to be able to have that opportunity to speak about who we are and what it is we stand for and how our faith kind of brings all of that together and shapes who we are. Mm
0: -hmm. So
2: it doesn't mean women can't do things that men can do but the community does need to empower women a bit more, but that doesn't mean that women should sit back and wait for that because we can do things on our own as well.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to, you know, to, to, to point out as you're saying that um, you don't always, in other words, the voices that we're listening to primarily don't always need to be the scholars or the experts. Uh, sometimes we need the people who are on the ground level Because they have another perspective, as you said, that that sometimes the scholars might not have. And it's important to include all of those voices. It's not, let's limit only um, those people we perceive to be scholars, maybe in one certain area, but it's very helpful. Yeah. To especially
2: when the scholar is talking about women's issues and yeah. they're all men. And, and I'm like, what? Like, wait, you don't even know half of it. Like, why are you talking about women's issues? Oh yes. <laughs> When number one, you're not a female. Number two, you're not even married right. uh, or, or, or in a relationship to know what that's like. Yeah. And so now you're going to talk about what I'm supposed to do and not do and how I'm supposed to be perceived based on your personal perspective on it when you haven't actually lived the reality of it. And that perspective usually changes. I mean, I deal with, you know, men in the field all the time. And being a woman who is the face and voice of a mosque is a new thing. Majority of the mosques don't have that. And -hmm. if they do, it's usually a guy. But here I am in hijab, a female speaking at, you know, different venues in front of, you know, 15, 16 different media outlets at one time sometimes and that gives that perception of women are supposed to be in this role. And Imam Majid, who is our executive Imam at Adam Center, is keen in making sure that when there's these types of things happening, that I'm there and I'm speaking, because he wants to make sure that women are there having this discussion
0: and who are qualified and who are able to articulate the ideas clearly. Yeah i i want to um, I want to go back to what you were saying to. Hernessa, about women empowering women, because actually you and I were just on a panel about <laughs> women in peace building at the Alliance for Peace Building um, conference last week, and that was a huge, a key part of what we talked about was how critical women's roles are in peace building and in the faith uh, community space as well. And you and I have actually been collaborating with Peace Catalyst in the D.C. area over the past year together, um, bringing Christians, Muslims, and other people, their neighbors together for uh, mutual understanding and and reducing um, fear and and misunderstanding. So I'm curious, how did you get involved with Peace Catalyst? Because I just came on board last year, but you have actually been partnering with them and working with them for a bit longer. So I'm just curious...
2: So it's been almost three years that I've been working with Peace Catalyst, and I didn't realize it's it's been so long. I mean, three years is not that long, but, you know, it's still a lot <laughs> longer than a year. <laughs> um, and so what happened was when I got on this role, Imam Majid was actually really good friends with Pastor um, Dr. Rick Love. And Dr. Love uh, reached out to Imam Majid and said, I need a female rep from DMV to be part of PCI's, uh, you know, campaign that we're, we're working on, uh, and, and the work that we're doing. So, uh, you know, my magic turned to me and he's like, well, you're heading this department. It's only right that you go and do this. So, um, I met, I spoke to, uh, Rick over the phone and then I was invited to come to Duke university for the first meeting for, um, seek the peace and got to meet everyone. And at first I was a bit scared because, um, everything I've heard about evangelical Christians and their Islamophobia ideas and what what they stand for, I couldn't understand why this evangelical group wanted to do something different and so of course that was my own you know ignorance and my own lack of knowledge of of dealing with a group of people that I figured were a certain way because of how they were viewing Muslims from a majority perspective, not realizing that there are people who don't think that way and so when I went you know Rick welcomed me with open arms and everyone was so nice and so sweet. And and I was like, what? This is completely different than what I was expecting. You know, it was like they rolled out the red carpet. I felt like that's what it was like. You know, they're like, oh, we have halal food. I'm like, you have halal food? Like what? (laughs) Like, who does that? (laughs) You know, and they're like, we have no pork on the menu. There's no alcohol. You know, everything is we want it to be where you're comfortable. Oh, and then they set out time for prayers for us because we pray five times a day. And I was like, how did they know so much about Muslims, you know? And so after that, we went last year in 2019, we went to Seattle for the next part of of the mission that we were doing in terms of getting to know one another and the work that we were trying to do. And again, same people, they brought some new speakers. But I made so many great friends. I have so many great friends from everyone who's been working at Peace Catalyst. And these are people that I text and call and who you know are my facebook or if i ever go to their city i meet up with them Uh, martin i went to louisville kentucky last year and i texted martin i'm like hey i'm here and he's like let's meet up and him uh susan came and we we had some food and then i had him come to the event that was happening it was a it was an event for a new chapter of Muslim Jewish Alliance in in Louisville. And so he came for that and he met some people and and made new contacts. And and so it was great. It was just an amazing way of, you know, getting to know one another, but being true to who, being true to who we are. We didn't have to change what we believe in. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to say, well, you know, you're wrong. I'm right. That's not our, our mission. Our mission isn't to, prove each other wrong and to get the upper hand and saying that I can prove you, prove to you that, that my religion is better than you. We're not about that. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And as Muslims, that's not our job either, right? We're supposed to work together to ameliorate situations within our cities and the people that live in it. They need our help. They need our time. They need our resources. We're wasting so much time in unnecessary dialogue between whose faith is better that the whole purpose of why we're here gets lost. And that's what I'm trying to bring back to the table.
1: Yeah, it's it's really. Um, what do you see? Yeah, in your work, when you, especially in, the, in terms of partnering with um, with Christians or with peace catalysts, uh, working together with people, or even people in the Jewish community, working with people of other faiths. Um, what do you see? Are, I mean, Elijah, I mean, you kind of alluded to this earlier that. Um, it's, it's not this huge sweeping thing. Uh, it's sort of one person at a time. So that makes it a little bit slower. It can make it a little more challenging. Um, but what, what do you see that works? I mean, what, what do you think really in, in terms of peacemaking, just um, even at that one person at a time level? I mean, what has the greatest impact? What, what is it that you see in peacemaking is the kind of the one thing? If we could just focus on one thing, what is it do you think that we need to uh, pay attention to?
2: So there's three words that I use all the time, and I really thought long and hard about what words I I would be using to describe the work that I'm doing. Because majority of the time you hear people use the word tolerate, and I actually avoid the word tolerate Uh uh, at all costs. Tolerate to me seems like someone saying, I don't really like you, I don't really know you, I don't really care for you, but... (laughs) For the sake of, of where I'm at, I'll put up with you. I don't want someone putting up with me. Like, that defeats the whole purpose, you know, because, like, when I turn my back, they're going to roll their eyes. Like, I don't want that. And and that's a fake relationship. So why would I want someone tolerating me? If you don't like me, just say it, right? Like, we don't have to go there. Um, so I use three words that, uh, to me, are really poignant in, in the work that I'm doing. And it's uh, acceptance, respect, and understanding. And they don't go in that order. Um, but you know you have to learn to respect someone you're dealing with, and in order when once you respect someone, you can understand them, and once you understand them, you can res- you can accept them, hmm. and you can't do any of 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 the work that we're doing without these things,
1: uh-huh.
2: and these these three words really go hand in hand in the work that we're doing. Peace building is is about being comfortable in your own skin, knowing your own faith, knowing who you are, but also giving that back out to the person you're dealing with because yeah. there's no peace building. If you're trying to make people like you, it's not going to happen. Yes. So it's different people from different backgrounds, from different faith groups coming together and working to make a better life for other people. So peace building, if it's just built on dialogue for me is useless. There has to be community projects and community outreach reach in 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 this you know at the same level as well. So if we're just getting together and talking and saying you know I love you, you love me, that's great. But and then what? Uh-huh. Right. There's so many things in this world that need attention. Homelessness is in every community. Domestic violence is in every community. Mm. Um, you know, the environment is something we all have to worry about. These are the things that need our attention. These are the things where we need to focus uh, rather than, you know, pointing fingers at each other and saying, you're trying to take over or you're trying to change me. I don't like you. Mm. I don't want to talk to you. Oh, um, I love
1: that. I thank you also for pointing out, uh, Ernest, uh, there is sort of like some stages, right? So, like, uh, thank you, man. That I wrote that down. That accept, respect, and understanding is beautiful. Um, and and so maybe if we think of it in terms of sort of stages, like maybe maybe that's the first step, right? Kind of like let's come together. Let's not attempt to fix each other, change each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's really accept one another for who we are. Um, I think it's also really important to to look at the things that we have in common because. As long as you're looking at what our, our differences, is, you're always going to be in a posture of, well, that's not right and that's not good or why did they do it that way? But if you can shift your, your filter a little bit and start looking, well, what do we have in common? And then you you touched on something beautiful about how you know Muslims and Christians, we all care about the homeless. We all care about um, orphans. We all care about people that are hungry. We all care about domestic violence. We care about the environment. And so these are things we have in common. Um, that cross over our sort of religious boundaries and lines and and things like that. This is an overlap. And the the great thing about noticing that is that now we can come and work side by side together to solve some of these problems. And that in itself can be another way to um, create bonds and and connections.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. like I said, we're wasting time on, on, things that are not important. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're like wasting time and people are suffering in this world because we are being negligent. And so we need to push ourselves to shift our mindset and really think of things in in the way it's supposed to be. Right. And you know, and, and again I'm gonna bring the woman factor back into it and I've noticed a lot of the events or things that are happening when women aren't involved, it's really boring. It's really (laughs) dumb. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. Like I'm going to point it out the way it is. It's like, Oh God, I know women did not put this thing together. You know? (laughs) And it's just dull. And after five minutes, I'm zoned out. Like, I don't even want to listen anymore. You know, but when there's women, there's, there's a different dynamic that actually comes into the conversation. And you see that, oh, wait, this is lively. Like, women think outside of the box. Women are super creative. You know, we're multitaskers. Our brain can function at five different levels at the same time. So, again, it's, it's, it's perpetuating this idea that women need to be at the table. It's not even just, oh, it's not fair. We're not at the table. You need us. Men need women at the table and there's no going around it because we're half half of the, the, the species of, of human. We're the mothers of of the children. We're the teachers of these children. We're the ones who are, you know, bringing children into this world. Without us, there would be no human race, uh-huh. right? And And that's poignant in and of itself. So how can we be denied because of our gender? Actually, we're supposed to be celebrated because we're women.
1: Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, you're right. We do see it and we definitely see it in, in Christian circles. Um, I won't name names, but uh, there's been, uh, you know, we see a lot of that happening as well. And uh, I think part of also what needs to happen is um, that the, it's only going to, it's only really going to change, I think, if some of the men uh, voluntarily kind of stand up and, and uh, give up their seat once in a while and say, you know what, uh, I think we, we need to hear from some of our women. Yes.
2: Yes, and, and, and that has to be, you know, part of the thing. And I, I and I feel that one of the things that they were doing was these speakers were rejecting invitations if there wasn't at least one female on the yeah. panel, which yeah. is great, but it should be even. Don't tell me you can't find women scholars on any subject. Right. In, in anything. You can find it if you really, really looked. Um, they're, they're in every, every field, every profession. Women are, you know the backbones in, in every society, yeah. you won't, you won't thrive as a society if women aren't there. So how could their voices not be heard? Does, does, doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Sometimes I speak for all women. doesn't matter if, you know, faith background, I say women's, uni- you know, women unite because, <laughs> you know, we have to be there for one another and be able to move. And, you know, even the pay gap with women is an issue as well, because we're, you know, a society that relegates women at a whole nother level and that needs to change as well so Mm -hmm. anything we can do to fix that is is always welcome
1: yeah absolutely well i'm glad you're such a bold uh uh voice uh, for women and for women for peacemaking and for the uh just like you were saying the kind of issues and things that really matter i mean let's stop let's not waste all of our time arguing about who's right or wrong and all these different the differences we have there's work to be done and um and we need to be working together. And in many ways, those things are not going to get solved if we don't work together. Um, and, and when we say together, we mean not just Muslims, not just Christians, not just Jews, not just, uh, even non-believers, but men and women.
2: Yes. Yes. Men and women. Absolutely. We have to bring everybody, uh, into the fold. I had, I was at a one-on-one event and, this guy who happened to be atheist um, came up to me and he said, well, you know, your religion says this and this stuff. Like he was very aggressive from the get go. He didn't even ask me my name. There was no hello. I was like, okay. You know, like it would have been nice. (laughs) What's your name? And he was like, your religion is completely, um, would, would crucify me there. They think that being an atheist is this and that. And I said, look, are you a human being? He said, yes. I said, and as far as I'm concerned, the God that made me made you. If if you want to help me fix the situations of this community, then then you know, let's talk. And he was just quiet. He didn't even know what to say. And he's like, "Well, I have this podcast, and I want you to come on it." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> wow! Hey, wow! <laughs> it, really it turned funny. from an attack to a podcast invitation. So. <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Yes, yes, yes. But see, those are the things, those are the things that are important is for people to actually hear what we feel and what we believe, not what they think we're thinking and what we're feeling.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I want to, I want to invite our listeners definitely to check out your podcast for Sister Act 2020. If you head over to Facebook and just type in Sister Act 2020, it's going to be the best content. And it's so relevant to what everything that we're talking about today. So. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And you know, one thing I I love about the podcast is that, you know, there are three women from three different faith traditions of a female rabbi and a black female Christian scholar and myself. And we have a great time. We laugh a lot, and but that's human, right? It can't Mm -hmm. always be, you know, just talking about, you know, religious issues without being human about it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we do. You know, we laugh. Um, Rabbi Susan's daughter's but mitzvahs this weekend were both invited over Zoom. Like, it's a relationship building at a different level. And that's what we need to do. But we can't do it without people being vulnerable, without mm-hmm. people putting their guards down and actually willing to listen and respect one another. Yeah,
1: yeah that's beautiful.
0: Well,
1: well, thank you so much, So This has been uh, an amazing conversation uh, very very blessed uh, love what you're doing um, and I love your perspective and keep doing what thank you're doing
2: my pleasure my pleasure thank you so much for having me mm-hmm. and I have to say that becca and and I over the past what one and a half years that we've been working together we've create we've built a bond that I think is like sis, like sisters. <laughs> that I don't think can be broken. I even offer to sing at her wedding if she ever gets married. So that is like a whole other level of <laughs> relationship status because I don't do that often. So Becca, consider yourself lucky that I'm going to do that.
0: <laughs> I'm so, I can't wait for that day. It's gonna be amazing. Yes. <laughs> it's gonna yes. be amazing on so many levels. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Thank you for being here with us, Renissa. It's So wonderful. No, thank you so much yeah, for having you. me. This is a great conversation.
1: Wow, that was so good.
0: Yeah, that was incredible. I'm just continuously amazed by her and her leadership. Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I really liked too was how she the comment that she made about how. Um, with what she notices within Islam but it's also true in I think in Christian circles as well right about how quite often all of the experts and scholars and authors and people that get featured are male and yep. um, it's really difficult for for women um within our faith you know communities to be given a, a platform and a voice but there's so much I think that they can contribute and so much that we can yeah. learn from
0: them yeah Absolutely. And I think the more, the thing I admire the most about her, Anissa, is how she's always um, speaking up about that. And she's including other women in her, you know, her Sister Act podcast, which is Muslim, Christian, and Jewish woman, um, talking about faith and life and everything in between and kind of reframing the narrative around um, women of faith and what their roles look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I you know I touched on this a little bit in our conversation with her, with her Nessa, but it seems like it is something that it just keeps coming up. Um, you know, I see it all the time coming up in in sort of the Christian circles and communities and things on social media that I'm a part of, um, and it's so in some ways it's kind of sad to me. I, I don't even know why we are still fighting to give space for women um, in areas of leadership and. And things yeah. like that, because, um, I, I think the reason why it's so sad to me within Christianity is also that I see, you know, I see Jesus being so radically for women you know, he giving women a place, you know, having this, yeah. this, like this, there's such a, an emphatic and powerful statement that Jesus makes when Mary is sitting at his feet, you know, and, and the sister Martha is upset about, you know, why isn't she, um, helping me in the kitchen and, mm-hmm. uh, And, you know, like, so by her sitting at the feet of Jesus, what she's doing is taking the place normally reserved only for men, which was to be a disciple of a rabbi. And and Jesus, rather than rebuking her, actually says that she's chosen the better thing. And actually he makes this amazing statement. He says, and what she has chosen will not be taken from her. Um, And the sad thing to me is it seems like here we are 2000 years later And it feels like there are some people that are still trying to take it away from women. Um, But again, when I see Jesus being so pro-women, radically pro-women, and honestly, even um, many of the writings of Paul, Paul gets a very bad rap, I think, Um, you know, Paul, Paul, we wouldn't even know how many female leaders there were in the early church if it wasn't for Paul, because Paul mentions, you know, Dorcas and Phoebe and Lydia and um, Priscilla and Junius and yeah, you know, he goes on and on, and and not doesn't just mention them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Phoebe. He he um, he praises them. He exalts them. He talks about how they were, um, they're doing work before even before uh, he was doing it, and that uh, they're you know outstanding among the apostles, and how women in the early church actually held all the typical roles that we tend to think nowadays are only reserved for men. I mean, you can go into the New Testament and you can find women deacons. Women, elders, women, um, mm-hmm. prophets, women, evangelists, women. Right. Yes, women, women, apostles, even, and teachers. And so, these weren't things that were only available to men. But sadly, very quickly in, in church history, those became sort of male dominated roles. And I would just love for us to get back to that. I always, I always say I'm more of a regressive Christian. I would like to see us go back um, <laughs> to some of those sort of. First century Jesus, uh, early church ways of of uh, operating because I think that really was, I think it was really Jesus' heart for us to include everyone and not for not to be so male centric.
0: That is such a great point, and I think it's interesting too because even looking at the context of the early church or when Jesus walked the earth, like those examples of exalting women or or making them primary leaders. Um, was so so like you said so radically countercultural at the time, um, and we might even look at those examples and say, "Well, that's not that big of a deal." But <laughs> like wow. you said, it, it was probably more radical given the cultural context back then than than positions of leadership for women now. So exactly,
1: yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, and then also too, not even. Um, I mean, and you, you, you actually, you and I were talking about this before we recorded, but also just about how, um, like her points out too, it, it isn't even just only in conversations about faith that right. it's important to include female voices, but in the peace building process as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's, it's amazing because data and there's empirical evidence that shows that peace building processes are have an increased likelihood of success when women are both included and put in positions of leadership, um, at the negotiating table or whatever that process looks like. Um, so that's a very important point to, to recognize as well.
1: It's something that I would love to see happen more and more. And hopefully by taking time in this podcast and the series we're doing to highlight these female voices, um, men and women both will be able from both sides, right? Christians and Muslims. And, uh, mm-hmm. will be able to really listen and learn and recognize that, wow, we do have a lot to learn, um, yeah. from these amazing women like her and Essa and others that we're going to be talking to coming up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that, you know, I Keith, you and I were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, um, Something that I personally look up to in her, Nessa, is how she is constantly putting herself out there and building relationships with people who are different from her, and um, she's doing that out of genuine, you know, love and um, and passion, but also to represent her faith and help dispel misunderstandings about Muslims. Um, and I really look up to her in that because for me, sometimes I struggle with identifying. Um, as an evangelical Christian, because of some of the um, stereotypes or fears or um, voices that are are dominant in the media. Um, but Hernessa really gives me a good example to follow of just, you know, you can help to foster real relationships with people who are different from you. And even if you might be afraid of, um, you know, what that person might think of you But once you step out in in courage and um, just get to know somebody else as a fellow human being, you start to see that um, those labels and those names can just be a total barrier unless you're willing to to put yourself out there and get to know people for who they are and see what they really think and see, you know, how they view the world. And you will probably find that you have a lot more in common than you realized. Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's so funny because, um, I actually had a, a really, uh, deep conversation about this exact thing with a friend of mine yesterday. Um, and he's a Christian and he was talking to me about, um, a, a man who was a mentor in his life since he was in junior high, who was a, a Christian, you know, uh, like a Sunday school teacher and then a pastor. And then, um, and mm-hmm. he even supported this guy's missionary efforts, you know, uh, later on in his life. And, uh, but, now then they kind of reconnected after several years of, you know, not, not being uh, in communication. And now they're suddenly realizing exactly what you're saying, that uh, mm-hmm. even though they both identify as Christians, um, they're not on the same page on many things, theology and politics right. and policy and lots mm-hmm. of things, right? Yeah. And, and now they're having to re-navigate and re-establish their relationship. And it's very painful. My friend was telling me it's really hard for him. Yeah. And I said, you know, well, I think it's it's difficult and those kinds of things are difficult, uh, even within, you know, again, just between Christians, um, right. because what we do is we tend to focus on the, our differences, right? We tend to focus right. on, well, you believe this, but I believe that you hold this doctrine, but I hold another doctrine. You right. have this opinion about politics, but I have a different opinion about politics. And we sort of stop there. We say, well, because we are different on this one issue or this one perspective, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure we can have a relationship. Well, that's not true because actually if you're looking for, I think what I would encourage people to do, and I I, I try to do this myself and it isn't easy, but with people that you feel you immediately don't connect with or like, oh, wow, they're different from me in this one area. Keep Mm -hmm. looking, keep digging, because actually what I think you'll find is that if you start looking for the things you have in common, you'll find much more you have in common. Mm -hmm. Um, and and if nothing else, that would be Jesus. That uh, you could say, well, look, we we, we agree on Jesus. We, we love Jesus. We think Jesus is amazing. Um, yeah. Then fine. Then then that's probably the best place to begin that conversation. And even to be honest, I mean, even in um, in between Christians and Muslims, I think that's a that's great advice as well. What is it that the thing we have in common with Muslims? Yeah. Well, honestly, it's Jesus, and that's also a wonderful place to start. Even though. Yeah. Do you disagree on things? Well, yes, you disagree on lots of things, but mm-hmm. you agree on Jesus. And I think if we can focus on that, the more we focus on that, the more time we spend focused on what we have in common. I think uh, hopefully, the, the eventually what we realize is even though we disagree on some of these other areas, they are less and less important. Um, right.
0: Right. Right. I know. I think that's, yeah, that is such a profound point. And I, I love what you're saying about Connecting about Jesus because, yeah, many of my Muslim friends, I had no idea until I talked to a Muslim that they love and revere Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's such a beautiful point. Yeah.
1: Now, I had another, another conversation, though, to have, I think, deeper is um, even especially with Christians within the Christian community is to say, um, so let's say you are a, on, have different opinions about sort of social issues, right? Mm-hmm. Is to have a conversation about like if we start with Jesus and say you know how does Jesus and your understanding of Jesus and the things Jesus taught how does that inform the way you look at let's say immigration or um, or uh, the death penalty uh, mm-hmm. or you know all these kinds of things so in other words let's start with Jesus and and say how does Jesus help us think about these issues because honestly yeah. I think. If if we really start to try to connect those two worlds, quite often what we'll notice is well, yeah, I have I have this one opinion about this topic, but it really isn't something informed by Jesus. Like it's very difficult to find places where Jesus specifically um, would have agreed with some of the assumptions that I have. And maybe that's a good thing because now we can say why is that, and and maybe mm-hmm. you know maybe I need to adjust the way I look at that or think about some of these topics. Um, right because it, maybe it isn't informed by Jesus, it's informed more by uh, other things.
0: That is such a good point, just coming back to that that centrality of Jesus and who he was and how does that inform, yeah, how we view these different issues um, in our world today.
1: Thank you guys for joining us for our, our first uh, Peace Catalyst podcast. We're so excited that we had the chance to share this conversation with you. Uh, and we're looking forward to you know, the next, uh, the next conversations in this series on uh, featuring Muslim uh, women of peace.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Spotify. And for more info about Peace Catalysts and to help support our peace-building work, please go to our website at peacecatalyst.org.